0: Blessed are the poor in spirit Theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are they that mourn For they shall be confident Blessed are the meek For they shall inherit the earth Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness For they shall be filled This morning Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So we need to look at the word mercy, see what is involved in being merciful, and we'll notice a few ways that we could define a mercy, and then also look at the promise that God has offered to the merciful. When we think about being merciful, we're talking about a compassionate treatment of the offender or the offender. Here's someone that offends somebody, but they treat them compassionately. One who is willing to spare another person or forbearance from inflicting harm. But let me ask you this to carry it a step further. Can we say that a person is merciful who is touched and pained at the misery and the misfortune of someone else? Now the reason I put it to a question that way is I know a brother who is not comfortable whatsoever when he goes to the hospital to visit somebody. He says when I see people in pain and suffering, it upsets me. He has pity for them. But he feels more comfortable if he's not there, and I'm I'm wondering: Can we say that person is merciful, or just full of pity? Does it merciful also it express itself? Does it not respond? For example, in the case of Jesus, there are a number of the cases when we read that Jesus was compassionate. He had mercy upon the multitudes. He fed five thousand. Another occasion he paid 4,000. And on a number of times when people brought their afflicted, the blind, lame, those who were suffering, to him, he was moved with compassion and he healed them. And so I'm thinking, if I just feel compassion but I'm not moved with compassion to do anything, am I really merciful? And that's sort of the question that I'm bringing up. Primarily, merciful is a heart condition, a heart quality. It is just the opposite of being harsh, of being severe, of cruelty. In fact, it goes beyond justice. That's what mercy will do for us. Our God is a God of peace, He's a God of justice, God of comfort, but He's also a God of mercy. And He looks down upon His creatures with pity and with compassion. But God has taught us that we are to imitate Him in that we are also to be merciful in dealing with one another. Michael tells us that there are three requirements of everybody. In Micah 6, and verse 8, we read, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord, Jehovah, require thee, but to do justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with thy God. To do justly is to exercise justice. To love kindness is to be merciful. And to walk humbly with thy God is an expression of deep faith. Remember in Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jesus said to the Pharisees who were in his audience You tithe mint, anise, and come. That's fine. But you leave undone the weightier matters of the law. And then he specifies what those weightier matters of the law are. And one is justice, one is mercy, and one is faith. To do justly, to love kindness, and to walk with thy God is an expression of faith. To walk humbly with thy God. These are requirements that the Lord has given to all of us to observe. In Matthew 9 and verse 13, Jesus has been invited by Matthew to his house. Matthew invited some of his colleagues. Former colleagues you might say, tax collectors. Now he's turned from his job. He's following Jesus full time. But the Pharisees are there, and they see Jesus with these sinners. They call him. And Jesus says, "What you need to do is to go and to learn what this means." You quote God from Hosea six and six: "I love mercy. I desire mercy." and not sacrifice. Now that's an elliptical question, a statement. The Lord is not saying, I don't want your sacrifice, don't bring any more animals to the offering uh, to offer to me. So what he's saying here, he's focusing in on mercy. I desire mercy. Go and learn what that means. And not sacrifice. I desire mercy as well as Sacrifice is what the Lord is saying there. And so we're to follow that example and to learn what mercy is. A mother sought the pardon of her son from Napoleon Bonaparte. The emperor said it was his second offense and justice demanded death. The mother said, I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy, but said the emperor, "He does not deserve mercy." The sire cried the mother, "It would not be mercy if he desired, it. and mercy is all I'm asking." And so Napoleon said, "I will have mercy," and the son was spared. He may have been outwitted by this uh, this mother. He's already broken two rules, and justice demands his death. So I'm not, I'm not asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. And Napoleon comes back, but he doesn't deserve mercy. I think there's a lesson for us here. Maybe we think sometimes, well, I ought to forgive him, or I ought to do that, or I ought to, but he doesn't deserve it. But if I did it, it'd be merciful. But if I don't do it, it's not mercy. He doesn't deserve mercy. But the mother says it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And so he said, I will be merciful. The quality of mercy is expressed in three different ways. And let me give you those three ways right now. One is by helpfulness. When we help somebody, we're being merciful. And the Lord uses that very same expression. You remember in Luke 10, there was a lawyer who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? He says, well, what does the the law require? He said, well, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our being and our neighbors ourselves. But sort of justifying himself, but he said, well, uh, who is my neighbor? And then the Lord tells a parable of the good Samaritan. About the man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, who beat him, stripped him, left him for dead, and then here came a priest by, and he saw him, and he may have been had a feeling of pity and compassion, but he kept on going, and he was followed by the Levite, and he saw him too. Maybe he had some compassion. But it wasn't enough to move him, except to keep on going to his destination. And then the two were followed by a certain Samaritan. And this Samaritan saw him, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. And that compassion moved him to go over and to help the man, and to take care of him, to take him into an inn that he might recuperate. He was moved with compassion and that compassion moved him to do something. And then after he told that parable, he asked the man, Now which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, showed mercy unto the man? And they said, Well, it was the Samaritan that showed mercy. The Lord used the word mercy twice. And he's talking about how mercy was expressed in helping somebody. Whether they were an offender or or whatever. The Lord says that's a merciful act. Blessed are the merciful. And you're merciful when you help somebody who is in great need. In 1 John 3.17 talks about a man who has the world's goods. He's a comfortable liver. But he sees a brother who's in need, but he shuts up his compassion from him. And then John asks the question, since he shuts up his compassion from that brother who's in need and he's able to help him, does the love of God abide in him? The person who shuts up his compassion and doesn't let it move him to help somebody it might say, well, I, I love the Lord. I'm just sort of, uh, I, I can't help there. John says, does the love of God abide in you? The love of God and mercy go together. If he shuts up his compassion and his mercy, he doesn't have the love of God in him, abiding in him, John said. So mercy is expressed by helping somebody. Have you ever heard of a junior university? I mean, we have junior colleges, you know, everywhere. But what about a junior university? Well, I can tell you about one that I know of, and you know of others. But back in the last century, about a little over 100 years ago, a man by the name of Leland Stanford and his wife lost a son, and he was young. Now Mr. Stanford was a very wealthy man, he'd been governor of, the, of, the, uh, of California. He'd built some railroads, and presidents of the railroads. Uh, later he was a senator. And he had some money, and so he and his wife wanted to build some kind of lasting memorial to their son, to the memory of their son who died in youth. And so they finally decided that they would build a university and that they would call the university after their son. And so, officially, this university is called Leland Stanford Junior University. Well, that's sort of a play on the word junior. Their university is uh, most prestigious in uh, the United States, in the world, I guess, Stanford University, in uh, uh, Santo Alto, California, 30 miles south of San Francisco. I said all of that to say this. In that first class, there was a young man enrolled as a freshman named Herbert Hoover. And Mr. Hoover had been orphaned when he was young. His father died when he was four, his mother when he was nine. Two uncles raised him. And so when it was time for him to go to the university, he had to work his way. He had a paper route. He was an agent for collecting clothes. He was a part-time secretary for the department head. I guess he did any kind of job he could find. Well, he and another student decided that maybe they wouldn't have to work so hard and could study more, they could make a little money. They heard that Ignacy Paderewski, the world famous Polish uh, pianist, was coming to America. So they contacted him. They made a deal with him, a contract that they would give him guarantees so much money he'd come to California and play for them, a concert. And so that was all worked out. And they hired a concert hall. They did the advertising, whatever was necessary. But they were disappointed in the attendance. It just didn't come up to what they expected and what they needed to make any money. And so after they counted their receipts, they went to Mister Pateresi and they said, "Now we're sorry, but we don't have all the money that we guaranteed you. I think it was twenty thousand dollars, something like that." But we'll give you all that we have here. And we'll go to work, both of us. We'll give you a promissory note. We'll pay you every penny that we owe you. Mr. Paderewski said that what you do. He handed the money back to you. He said, you go and pay all your expenses. Each one of you keep 10% for your, your commission. And then you give me what's left and the account will be settled." Mr. Paderewski was very, very merciful. These young men could see themselves having to quit school and go to work just to pay that off. They were honest young men. But now they could continue their education. They were in that first graduating class of 1895. About, well, around years, 25 years later, after World War I was over. But in the meantime, let me say this Mr. Hoover became uh, uh, a mining engineer and a wealthy woman. Worked for China, worked down in Australia, and uh, he was in Europe and London at the time World War I broke out. And so he was appointed by the, you know, the President of the United States to be the United States uh, relief director. And he collected clothing and food and money from Americans and sent it to the countries in Europe that had been devastated by World War One. And so all those countries collected from him. Mr. Paderewski quit his concert work for a while during the war. He worked for Poland. In fact, he was the prime minister about this time after the war was over, 1919. Mr. Hoover was in Paris. Mr. Paderewski went to see him. To thank him personally for all the help that he had been able to bring, not to be, not only to the other countries but to Poland especially. Mr. Hoover said, "Mr. Paderewski, that's all right. The people gave it. I'm just the director." And you may not remember this, but about 25 years ago, there were two students at Stanford University who invited you to come over and to play in a concert. We were trying to make some money pay for our tuition and so forth. And it didn't work out. And you let us off and just took crumbs. And we appreciate that more than you let her know. Mr. Paderewski was being helpful, very merciful to these young men. That is one expression of mercy, being helpful as he was them. another expression of of mercy is in kindness of judgment we're merciful when we're kind in judgment the merciful man is slow to condemn. remember James 1 19 and 20 it says that uh, let a man be swift to hear Slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. A merciful man, then, is slow to judge. He does not judge according to appearance, like right? Jesus taught in John 7, 24. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. He's quick to exonerate the He wants to believe the best about anybody like 1 Corinthians 13 and 7 tells us that love believeth all things. That's a merciful man. And he's unlike Satan who is uh, described in Revelation 12 and 10 as the accuser of our brethren. If we accuse our brethren we're not merciful. If we don't, we're, we're merciful. And one other is in forgiveness. Merciful man harbors no malice, has no ill will. He blesses those who persecute him. In fact, Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 14, Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. That's what a merciful man does. He cancels every debt, of sin that one might go against him. He's being merciful. Remember in Matthew 18, Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, if a brother sinned against me, how often should I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus answered Peter and said, No, not seven times, but seventy times seven. In other words, you keep on forgiving that brother that may offend you or sin against you. Then he told the parable. Here was the Lord. And he was having a reckoning and accounting with his servants. One man came in and owed him 10,000 talents. And I I can't begin to appreciate how much money that was. One man owed his Lord 10,000 talents. And the master said, well now it's time for you to pay. He fell on his knees and he worshipped him. He said, I cannot pay He said, well, throw him in prison, take his wife, his children, throw them in prison. And he begged him, and the Lord was merciful. And he forgave him of all of the debt, all the 10,000 talents. He got up off his knees, he went out, and he came across a man who owed him 100 shillings. There's hardly any comparison between 100 shillings and 10,000 talents. And he grabbed the man by the throat he says pay me and the man says, well I'm not able to pay you now give me a chance to work it off and I'll pay you he says no he said throw this man, his wife, his children into prison but well, when word about that got back to the Lord the Lord said bring that man back to you. the one that he had forgiven the 10,000 talents he came back and he said why have you done this I forgave you of everything and you were not able to forgive someone that owed you a little bit? He said, casting or turning over to torment. Then the Lord makes the application. He said, And so shall our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father do. And to everyone that forgiveth not from his heart, his brother. We need God's forgiveness. Jesus teaches there that if we will not forgive anyone, anything, God will not forgive us. That's just the way He does it. Three expressions of mercy. One is by just doing good deeds. Kindness and forgiveness. And in judgment. Those are the three. Well, what is the promise that the Lord gives us? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's sort of the sowing and reaping proposition here. Whatsoever man soweth, shall he also reap, Galatians 6 and 7. The Lord says you need to sow mercy, and if you do, you'll reap mercy. It it sort of works that way when we're with men. But let let me make this statement. The merciful man obtains mercy from two sources. One is from our fellow man, and the other is from God. But the promise is we'll receive mercy if we are merciful. Our fellow men treat us pretty much as we treat them. Didn't Jesus say in Luke 6 and 38 give and it shall be given unto you. Full measure pressed down, overflowing shall they give into your book. For with what measure you meet it shall be measured unto you again. So whatever we give, that's what we're going to expect to receive. The friendly man has uh, a number of friends. The generous man receives gifts. Let me read that passage. Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is that scattereth and increaseth yet more. Now, we need to sort of interpret some of these words. The scatter means to give, to spread abroad. There is that scatter, one gets gives And what happens? When well, he increases, he has more. It's like the more he gives, the more he gets. And there is that withholding more than is need, But it tendeth only to one. And so I'm going to keep this. I can't uh, spare anything. I'm not going to give it to anybody. What does that lead to? That leads to poverty. Now, verse 25. The liberal soul shall be made fat. I don't know how well that fits with some folks. You don't want to be made fat, but that's what my version says. The liberal soul shall be made fat. But uh, we need to interpret the term fat, and it means just enriched. There are other scriptures where the term fat is used. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Well, the term water means to be to refreshed and to be refreshed. And so men will respond to us in the way we deal with them. And so if we're merciful to our fellow man, they will be merciful to us. For forgiving, they'll be forgiving. If we serve, they will gladly serve. If we judge in mercy, then we shall be judged in mercy. But the other source is God. God will be merciful to us as well if we are merciful. God bestows mercy when mercy is found. And the measure we need to others shall be measured to us. In Psalms 41 and verse 1, and this is in the Old Testament, even... 41 and verse 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor, Jehovah will deliver him in the day of evil. So here's a man, a family, someone who considers and helps the poor. Well, they're going to get into trouble sometime. And when they do, God will be there to help. Jehovah will deliver him, the one who considers the poor, in the day of evil. You remember in In Matthew 6 and verse 14, Jesus said in His lesson on praying, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father will also forgive you. And then He turns it around. If we don't, He won't. And so God will respond in the way we go. And as long as mercy flows from us, divine mercy will flow into us. Now, if the merciful obtain mercy, the unmerciful are not going to obtain mercy. Isn't that what the Lord is teaching us? In fact, that's what it says in James 2 and 13. The judgment, for judgment is without mercy to him that hath shown no mercy. Ruskin has made this statement. He said, God can forgive the passing sin of the hot heart but not the inherent sin of the cold. Even He has no mercy for the unmerciful. And Shakespeare paraphrasing Jesus' teaching says, Consider this. That in the course of justice, none of us shall see salvation. And we know what he's talking about. I mean, God's going to be just. But if that's all He's going to deal with us, none of us will be saved. We need more than justice. We need this mercy. That in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy. And that same prayer that teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, but they shall obtain mercy. We're all going to stand before the God in the day of judgment. He's going to judge us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin separates us from God. God's justice demands death. But because God is a merciful God, He has allowed His Son to be our protection, to bear our death, to experience our death. So that he can be just, but also express his mercy. Providing a way for every man, because we all sin, to be saved. And the giving of his son at the cross is his mercy expressed. The Lord's going to judge us. If we have obeyed the gospel, we have the Lord's salvation. But have you obeyed the gospel? Is His mercy available to you? Well, we talked about how it cannot be available to us if we're not merciful ourselves to one another. And God's not going to be merciful to us if we do not appropriate the giving of His Son on the cross. And that takes place when we confess our faith in Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins. When we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And that's a burial in water. The Lord then will forgive us. And we then live a merciful life. One that's poor in spirit. One that mourns for sin. One that is meek, One that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And all the other things that God requires. Jesus said in Revelation 2 can be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee the crown of life.